Welcome to season A of Sashimi. For episode 5, I interviewed Andy Bain, CEO of Element Analytics. With 40 million in funding from a leading VC, Kleiner Perkins, and industrial giants such as Honeywell, ABB, GE, Mitsui, and Evonik, Element Analytics tackles an important problem helping industrial companies unify IT and OT data. We covered the company's unique founding story, the growth of the organization, some important metrics, and Andy's take on venture capital and private equity backed firms. Enjoy. Andy, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate the chance to be here. To start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks. I've been in uh, enterprise software uh, serving the needs of uh, industrial companies for several decades and uh, been in software you know, most of my career and really have uh, a passion for helping bring the digital technology to solving problems in, in the physical world and everything from power generation, transmission distribution to oil and gas to manufacturing to you know, a variety of different uh, sectors. And uh, in particular, for the last more than a decade, have been focused on what's been described as the convergence of IT and OT, those operational systems, those control systems that produce a, a lot of data from sensors and instrumentation on critical equipment and, and IT systems like maintenance and engineering design and how you bring them together to create a whole view, a 360-degree view of your industrial operations and your assets. And so that's been a passion of mine. And so I've been at uh, startups, at uh, PE-backed companies, uh, and at large companies like uh, ABB, where I was on the, uh, the enterprise software team and uh, was responsible responsible for product and strategy for many years. And you mentioned OT and IT, and I believe that Element Analytics, where you're currently a CEO, that's what you guys cover, right? Yeah, so we're we're an enterprise uh, SaaS company, obviously, and that's why we're talking today. Uh, and really, our mission is to uh, enable our customers to unify these disparate sources of OT and IT data so that they can more easily apply modern analytical tools. And it doesn't matter whether it's BI, like a tool like Power BI or Tableau or whatever, and, and it's a, an engineer or an operator, uh, or even a data scientist, or tools that you know, like AI and machine learning. And, and they want to use these, these tools and use their data to solve hard problems. And we help them achieve cleaner, safer, uh, healthier, more profitable operations by applying their data to these modern analytical systems. And really the value that that element brings is speeding up that time to analytical insight that can result in tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in, in value, but also and importantly, reduce safety and uh, uh, environmental incidents within their production operations. Can you kind of walk through the whole value proposition with an example? Sure. So we've got customers in, in a number of different sectors, like chemicals, oil and gas, food, ag, pharma. And our typical customer, the user is a data engineer, but the, the it's the business or the OT side, the operation side, that is trying to affect some use case, whether it's you know run the business or maintenance or whatever it may be. And they're typically trying to uh, improve um, the uptime of their equipment or reduce their O&M spend, uh, whatever it may be. And the challenge that they have is that the OT data, the time series data that comes from the plant, from the machinery, it lacks that essential context that their users need to deliver those analytical use cases that result in, in real dollars and real outcomes. 
And so we help them, and our users are typically what we would think of as data engineers, but often these are chemical engineers, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers who are working at these companies who have some experience in and around languages like Python or tools like MATLAB, or they know how to hack a little bit. And what we help them do with our software is enriching this very hard to work with time series data with data from other systems like the SAP PM maintenance system or engineering design systems so that that time series data can be understood in the context of operations. And so, you know, specific customer examples, we've got a customer, Avonic, and they're a specialty chemical company and and they have over 400 plants globally and they make uh, products that uh, end up in all sorts of uh, things that you and I both uh, use in our daily lives, whether it's our cell phones or clothing or whatever it may be. And what they're trying to do, for example, is predict the failure of things like pumps, compressors, critical and expensive equipment in their plants, and then also improve overall equipment effectiveness. And and what we're able to do is help them bring their OT data, their time series data, and their maintenance data and some other data together so that they can stamp out use cases at each of their plants, but do it in a similar way and get there much faster at a much lower cost. But then by getting off of spreadsheets and hard ways of wrangling their data that take time and money to then be able to use software to achieve the scale that they need to deliver similar use cases across the globe, across all their plants so that they can have common processes and common ways to look at like equipment types through similar use cases. And these data engineers, do they typically reach out to you? Is it something like product-led growth or you typically have to reach out to certain teams and educate them? We initially entered the market really going after that BU level or midi prize sale with our direct sales force. And we have our, our product Element Unify is a, you would see it and in, in, you would think of it because it is a low code, no code data pipeline capability that looks similar to other products, but it's quite different in a number of senses in that we focus on the metadata and the data modeling but we've also got a very robust architecture that's event-driven and allows us to persist the data so that we can pick up changes that are happening in the plant. And that's very important so that these data engineers know that it's the idea of, of model once consume anywhere. So we're helping them uh, to take a massive amount of data that describes the industrial equipment and the processes and bring that together so that they can, in a very flexible way, deliver whatever schema they need to deliver to support the use cases that their uh, engineers, their operators, and others in the plant uh, need to consume. And so we started with a typical enterprise sale, but what we're now doing is is we're shifting towards product-led growth. And so if you go to our website, Customers can sign up for a free trial, and that often gets to that individual user who has a problem, and they, they typically have a problem, what we call tag mapping, which is taking their time series tags and then, for example, mapping engineering design data to it so that they can start using it at a use case and, and do it at much greater scale. So we're shifting into more of that product-led growth motion and moving more towards that self-serve motion. Uh, and so we just kicked that off and are beginning down that path of free trials and, you know, more of that user focus versus just account focused uh, motion. And when it comes to pricing, how do you typically charge? Is it per user? 
We've priced based on consumption and the amount of data that customers will put in, in the system. And in the OT world and in the production operations world, uh, a lot of it is really about how many time series sensor streams are you trying to bring to your use cases, to your analytics. And so that's sort of a key measure of you know data in and data consumption. And then there are other sources of data. One of the things that we're finding, though, is one of our real objectives is to become the the neutral independent standard for that abstraction layer that you need between all the sources of ITOT data and the consumers of data, whether it's, you know, an individual and uh, a BI or AI tool that they're trying to use, or even at the data lake or data warehouse level. And so we're seeing these indirect channels start to open up where you have you know, certain providers who are trying to get their software out there, their products out there, but they have standing in the, the way of, of broader adoption within their own customer bases, this data contextualization problem that we solve. And so for those companies, we're, we're beginning to work on you know, some new pricing models that tend to be a little more traditional around users. And we augment that with some consumption. So we're, we're working our way through some of that as we open up some different paths to market. And when companies finally start using Element, I'm wondering how sticky it is. Can you provide churn? You know, we look hard at, at net retention. And you know, last year was a tough year, particularly in industrial manufacturing technology. But we had net retention of 106% uh, percent last year. We are a middleware product. And one of the companies that I think you could think about, where we don't solve the same problem, but a company like MuleSoft um, is is a good example of a company that, other than one year, they never exceeded 100% ARR growth uh, year over year before they IPO'd and MuleSoft's now, as you know, owned by Salesforce. But middleware tends to command a much higher ASP, but you don't look at the churn the same way because you're 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 fundamentally, you know, locking into a very strategic and sticky part uh, of of your customer's architecture. And what's happening in ITOT is there's this this missing middle between the IT and the OT systems that we fill. And so we have very good customer retention and it tends to be very sticky product once we get in and build users. How big is your team? So we're mid-30s today and growing, beginning to add several people a month now. And we're coming out of, of, of COVID. The market is re-energizing. Our pipeline's re-energizing. So it's, it's an exciting time for us. We closed our Series B last year, but we were very disciplined about how we worked our way through the signals that we needed to see with the market uh, returning. Industrial companies, they didn't know how to work from home. And I think the, the C-suite amongst our customers really ramped up expectations to start getting value out of all this digital transformation and start moving away from experimentation and, and those projects that got caught in uh, you know what's affectionately called pilot purgatory. And so uh, we're seeing the market, it's, it's really starting to roar back and it's an exciting time for us. So we're, we're ramping accordingly now. Yeah, I saw that you uh, raised money from quite famous investors like Kleiner Perkins and I, I believe Honeywell is also investing in you. Yep. So you said you raised Series B. How is that money spent? Is it on growth or R&D? It's, it's both. Uh, more shifts towards the front end of the business and towards go-to-market and, and sales and marketing, uh, certainly. And, and you're quite right. You know, We've got an interesting founding story because we're actually founded out of Kleiner Perkins. Dave Mount, who is our board chairman, uh, he was a, a partner with Kleiner Perkins Green Growth Fund. And um, early on, he recruited um, uh, Samir Kalwani, who's, who's now at Amazon doing computer vision and machine learning products. 
uh, and a data science to run some experiments. Uh, they had a thesis about applying machine learning and data science to industrial data. And some of that experimentation proved fruitful um, and fruitful enough to get a, a seed funding commitment from Kleiner. Uh, and once Kleiner committed to that seed round, then Dave uh, recruited me to come in as CEO and, and launch the company. So it really started with just you know a few of us. And then you know I, I ramped it from there. Today, we've raised a total of $40 million and closed the B round last year. And it's, it's a mix of, of both strategic and, uh, you know, financial sponsors. Uh, Honeywell is one of our strategics, as is, uh, you know, Schneider Electric, uh, ABB, and others. And so we're in, including Avonic, uh, one of our customers. So we've got a great mixture of, uh, of investors. Um, they all share in common, though, that they're very much committed to the energy transition and reducing the impact of industrial operations on climate change and, and driving more sustainable industrial op operations. So one of our earliest investors as well was uh, Viri Maxwell at Ajax Strategy, uh, who was our second investor after Kleiner Perkins. And she actually came in before the Series A and both Dave and, and Viri have been along for the entire journey. Can you walk me through the whole journey of you joining Element? Sure. Uh, I'd been after this problem for a long time. And bringing IT and OT data together is a very graphy problem. And at the time, back in 2011, 2012, when I was at ABB, I really was thinking of it as the physical graph or the industrial graph. And uh, I saw the emergence of big data technologies. One of my uh, good friends was a chief product officer at Cloudera, Charles Zedleski. And so I, I engaged with Charles and some others, and, and we endeavored to try to deploy you know, Hadoop and some of these other technologies to bring data together in a meaningful way and, and go after this problem. And it was just hard. And it, it's also hard to get things done inside a big company, right? It's hard to, hard to do that innovation. It takes a long time. And I just, I realized that the opportunity to do this at a startup, it was not only the, the right place to do it, but it had a much higher chance of, of success. And so when Dave uh, started recruiting for a CEO, I immediately knew the problems that they were going after. And, uh, you know, Dave and I were finishing each other's uh, sentences and, uh, so it's it, uh, the opportunity to go after this, this problem that I was passionate about. It's been fun uh, you know, tackling this problem. Uh, it was really much better in uh, you know, an early stage, um, really out of the ground startup. Uh, and I think, I think that thesis is, has proved to be true. At, at least uh, I still convinced my wife that uh, you know, we <laughs> packed up and moved from Boulder, Colorado to the Bay Area and uh, you know, uprooted our children. So I'm going to stick to that story for now. But, uh, but it's, been, it's been great fun. And it's really been the opportunity to innovate with a lot of you know, amazing people on our team. So when you joined, how did the product look? There was no product. Okay. It, it wasn't even created yet. No, it was it was some some research and some experimentation, uh, and so we spent the first year actually in our name element analytics kind of belies the reality that we're a middleware company, and we've debated whether we should rebrand element analytics. But the, ultimately, we are the enabler of analytics, and there are analytics that go on in our product about the quality uh, and the movement of the ITOT data, and so we spent the first year. Uh, really going after diagnostic and predictive analytical use cases, uh, all the while knowing that this whole data readiness, data preparation, data contextualization uh, piece had to be done. And so we did these eight POCs and seven out of the eight, we and these were name brand companies, which most people would recognize, seven out of the eight proofs of concepts that we ran that first year 
they were all delivering an end analytic, like show me how to predict the failure of over a thousand submersible pumps in an, an oil field in North Africa, or show me how to predict uh, engine failure in a fleet of trucks and, and, and or buses for you know engine manufacturers, things like that. And only one of those eight, which was BP, said, we don't care about that end analytic. What you guys have talked to us about and shown us is that you know how to work with the data. So of those eight, it was BP who became that one customer and, and one of our anchor tenant customers. And they really valued our understanding and our approach to bringing the data together. And so at my one-year anniversary of being with Element, we decided, you know what, we are just going to focus on the problem that we're focused on today, which is at the middleware layer, and really building that abstraction layer to, to make it easy through no-code, low-code, and a number of other capabilities to get the data pulled together so that anyone can consume it and do it at a scale they previously couldn't do. How did you decide how much to charge for this software? And I'm assuming BP was your first client, right? Yeah, BP. Uh, and then, you know, we've got clients in Nova Scotia Power and, uh, and others, Avonic and Covestra in the chemicals industry, you know, Cargill. We really looked at the value that we delivered from a, a number of different perspectives. So not only do we save time and cost on getting the data ready to go, but because of the way that we've architected the product and, and its capabilities, you know, one of the key things in doing analytics in this space is the maintenance of the data. And if you've got you know, people in the plants, people in operations who are relying now on these analytics, they're not going to trust the, what the analytics are telling them if the data gets out of sync or if it blows up. And so there's a huge maintenance problem here. Somebody changes, you know, pump fails, they bring in a new pump. Uh, it's got 20 sensors. It used to have 10 on it. And that can really hose up uh, the, the data analytics, the data that's coming off that pump, for example. And so you have to be able to maintain your metadata view of physical operations and keep it evergreen so you don't reduce trust in those out in the plants and in operations who are looking uh, at the data through analytics. And so we very much focused on that problem as well. And so there's huge value there. And so we're saving a lot of cost on building and maintaining the data around the analytics but we're also able to get you to a scale faster that speeds time to analytics. And so you're able to get to these use cases that are ultimately deliver the, the tens of millions of dollars uh, in value. And so we looked at that and it, it gets down to sort of a fundamental understanding of how much, like Steve Beamer, who's our, our VP of customer success, he was one of our first customers at BP. He retired. We hired him uh, to be on our team, we were able to save BP tens of millions of dollars and years of data preparation time to deploy just one system they were trying to deploy to do predictive analytics. But once that data was in Element Unify, they could then use it for all sorts of other use cases. And so it's, it's out of that value proposition and that value engineering that, that we figured out how to price the product. I know that was a very long answer, but it's more of an art than a science to how, how you uh, price some of these products, but that was really the journey we went on and how we figured out uh, how to price the product. And I'm assuming you were the first salesperson, right? 
Yeah, of course. And and we've had uh, you know a team of uh, four deployed engineers as well, and and uh, others who work with our customers and, and show the value fast. So everybody in the startup's a, a salesperson. Uh, it's not just the sales folks. It's you know everyone who's interacting with a customer has to be able to articulate the value and uh, show willingness to solve a problem with customers. When did you decide to hire your first salesperson, and what was the profile of that person? The first salesperson we brought on board was, you know, a good probably 18 months, uh, 24 months into the journey. Uh, and the profile was very much somebody who could do conceptual selling and solution selling and understood the language of OT and of operations because we, we really focused at first on selling to the business and to that business buyer and really targeted projects that they were trying to deliver and were struggling to deliver, but where we could come in and give them acceleration and give them an impact and do it fast. And so uh, it needed to be, you know, people who had walked in their shoes and, and understood the challenges. Since then, we've evolved the sales force and it's very, it's much more of what you would think of as an, uh, an IT and an enterprise uh, sales motion. But then, you know, it becomes very different as well when you start to put on free trials and more product-led growth, which really helps us build the pipeline. But I think, you know, that those first salespeople had to be able to speak the customer's language. And now it's much more traditional IT uh, selling. So what about marketing? When did you hire your first marketing person? So really, we had um, a woman, Sheena Banani, on, uh, already on board who was really running commercial operations. And um, we actually asked her to pick up marketing as, as well and, and uh, had relied on, you know, a number of outside contractors. But if you want to do, you want to do marketing, and by the way, Sheena is now uh, a director of marketing over at Gong, and she just did a, a great job for us, and she's a, a natural. You don't do marketing until you can tell stories through customers. And we wanted to get enough progress with, with customers to really, you know, start to kick in demand gen and, and um, have customers who could go to conferences and, and do testimonials and, and all the other typical things. So we, we really picked that up really end of year two, early year year three, when we had enough product and, and enough traction with customers. Um, and, and then since then, we've, we've you know, added we started to add to the team. It's it's very much focused on product marketing, uh, and you know we're getting better and better at it, and have a lot of work to do. But uh, we still keep a very you know small uh, team at the moment. But uh, it's it's it'll start growing this year. And you mentioned the customer success person, which was actually interesting strategy. You hired your client. Uh, when did that happen, and what's primary role of the customer success at your organization? It was uh, a couple of years ago that uh, we we hired customer success, and, and again, you have to have customers before it, it uh, makes sense to have have customer success. And we're we're very much enterprise sassy in in, in how we're we're trying to deliver and evolve customer success with you know onboarding and nurturing and, and those kinds of things. But where we're different is. Uh, our business buyers, our business users, you have to be able to speak their language. And so we have a team of four deployed engineers who not only will deliver projects, and so we have a services component to our business, but they also do play a huge role in customer success in terms of helping uh, our users get productive on the product and helping customers think through use cases and um, you know bringing their expertise and their, and their background they're typically you know trained as chemical engineers or electrical engineers many of them PhDs and they're just hardcore industrial data engineers is the way we we think about them uh, and so they they have a a, a real role to play uh, in in uh, the customer success journey as well 
So my understanding then, given the product, I'm assuming your customer success doesn't really have the upsell goals. Is there anything even to upsell? So yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's license expansion. Um, typically, a customer will enter and they'll take uh, you know a limited consumption because we work with our customers. We get them to think about think big, but start small and move fast. And so they'll start with you know a few plants and they'll get going, and then they want to extend it to as many plants as they can. And so that will drive consumption. And so customer success needs to focus on you know not only retention, but then helping along that journey and nurturing towards, you know, the expansion of, of use and, and therefore of, uh, of subscription. How difficult is it for you to find this qualified candidate? Like I said, we're, we're kind of a hybrid. And so we've got customer success people that we're bringing on the team that look more like your traditional enterprise SaaS folks. But then we've got a team of four deployed engineers. Uh, most of them, you know, the typical profile is they're younger. They got their graduate degree in uh, like I said, chemical or mechanical or, you know, an industrial engineering discipline. And they've learned how to be be hackers and they know they know how to use the tools. And so they take a little bit longer to find really good ones, but they love coming to work for a, a startup like Element where they can do really groundbreaking work. And you mentioned that you obviously have investors. How involved are they in day-to-day operations? Not really in day-to-day operation. That's not the role. It's up to the leadership team and the managers to make decisions and run the company. But our investors are are active in a number of, of different ways with you know, helping us think through the strategy and the coaching and particularly the board. And they've been just terrific. Our two co-leads on the Series B, David Lincoln out of Activate Capital and, and Eric Meyer from Activate and, and uh, Lewis Racy from Forte and Hunter Hartwell. They've been terrific, terrific just in terms of helping us build the network and get access to, you know, additional customers, things like that. So they're active in that sense. Um, as well, we just added a new independent board member, Vasu Jackal, who is the corporate vice president for uh, cybersecurity and the CMOs for cybersecurity at Microsoft, which you know is a huge and, and so, you know surprisingly ten billion dollar uh, business. And we've got her active in helping us think through as we expand, go to market, and particularly marketing and, and demand generation and brand building. Um, so she's a resource where it's really it's really a role of coaching and helping us think through and then connecting us into her network where it makes sense. And you mentioned that in the past, you also were part of an organization that was PE-backed. How would you compare VC-backed company and PE-backed company? You know, very different. PE comes in where there's, you know, relatively long history of producing revenue and, and EBITDA, and, and they tend to come in and, and financial engineer. And, you know, you look to bring a platform together and, and, and add to that platform and then, and then optimize it. And, you know, PE-backed companies, they struggle to, to innovate. I was fortunate enough to be in uh, first billion-dollar-plus exit for uh, Vista Equity Partners, and we were able to do some, some innovation around the product at Dentix in, in a, you know, on a number of fronts. But they tend to struggle because PE firms don't want to make as much investment. And, you know, ultimately, in, in PE-backed companies, it's very hard to effectively do first principles thinking and turn that into to customer um, customer value. In venture-backed companies, it's just the opposite. You're doing a lot of first principles thinking and you're looking to deliver a new function, not merely extend the, the current form like you are in PE-backed companies. So very fundamental differences and you know where where and how innovation happens is just fundamentally different. You know, they're they're both fun and they they both provide meaning uh, on on the journey, but just in very different ways. So Element is a fairly young company, but what's your long-term vision for the firm? 
You know, as I mentioned, we want to be the standard in the industry for unlocking the potential of all this IT, OT data that they've been collecting for decades so that our customers can spend their time working with what we enable, which is query-ready data, to solve those big problems that result in cleaner, safer, healthier, more profitable uh, operations. We want to be that independent, neutral standard. And, you know, this this idea, for example, that AI is going to replace uh, people, particularly in industrial companies... I think is really misguided. And, and so with data and analytics and with particularly good data and data at scale and long-term thinking about that data and data as an asset, and then these modern analytical um, systems, you know, including AI, we envision a world in which people return home more often at night from their jobs at the plant and they're not, you know, ending up in, in the hospital or something worse. And and where we've, we've used uh, data to change the trajectory on things like climate change, that's super important to our team and, and it aligns with our core values. So our our vision is to really extract much more value out of the data to solve these very big problems that uh, not only these companies are after, but how our customers can contribute overall to problems that uh, the nation state level and the global level we're all going after.